Hey, welcome back to Wildlife Plunges. Really great to have you here. Today we're going to have, talk to Laura Nesbitt. Welcome, Laura. It's great to have you here. Um, I understand you're part of the Otters Trio. Where did that name come from? Um, I think that actually, I think that name came from John, from the idea that when we were swimming from uh, Portishead to Clevedon, the current was moving so fast that we didn't actually have to swim to get to Clevedon. We could just lie on our back and put our paws up and just chill out and the tide would take us, the current would take us there. Um, because I've actually never done any river swimming with either Caroline and John, although I know that they've both done river swimming together. So maybe the name actually comes from that, but I can definitely relate to swimming in the Bristol Channel and not needing to put any effort in to travel from A to B. <laughs> That's great. Have you always been a swimmer? Uh, yeah, I've always been a swimmer. I grew up in Germany and my dad was a swimmer. So I grew up picking up sinky toys in an outdoor pool with him. And then I moved to the UK when I think I was about nine. And I just went to a local swim club and started competing. And then I got picked up by an age group performance club. And I trained for them for a couple of years. Um, but unfortunately, there wasn't much holistic support around schooling and swimming. So I was just swim, 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 swim all the time. And my grades really started to suffer and I was no longer in a high ranking anymore. So it was also kind of at a time where I hit puberty and I had a male coach who wasn't particularly supportive of the fact that I wasn't delivering results anymore. And that compounded with um, poor grades. I decided to pack it in well actually my parents decided for me um but I knew that I wanted to continue to swim because I'd always wanted to swim the channel but I'd never really had coaches who were interested in pursuing open water they were more interested in pursuing pool results following that unfortunately I actually developed an eating disorder after my swim years I think actually my eating sort of started during my swim years it just didn't physically manifest itself until I I, re I retired so I, I was getting worse for about two or three years and I kind of reached breaking point and I went into private healthcare and I kind of you, you kind of go through uh, like an AA process like an Alcoholics Anonymous process to get better and one of those processes was writing a life story and when I did that I realized that swimming um, had aided my anxiety around lots of things but actually um, my eating sort of started really at 11 and it just kind of been, had been snowballing and it was really interesting to acknowledge that when I put pen to paper and writing as part of uh, my recovery process was really interesting because it meant that when I was writing things they were in front of me I couldn't escape them anymore so that became a really important uh, process of getting better and I remember arguing with my psychiatrist. She was like, you're, you're not to go back into a swimming pool. Um, you know, you, you, will, you, won't, you just won't get better. You can't swim, don't coach. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> um, so I came, I came out of um, private healthcare and um, I spent the summer with my parents in the Lake District. And this was, um, this was 2011, 2012, I think while the Olympics were happening uh, in, in this country. And I just remember being in the Lake District and swimming in all these locks, naked, locks and lakes and tarns. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And for the first time ever, I felt really connected. I woke up one morning and I was listening to the birds 
and I was thinking wow I've I'm listening to the birds for the first time I'd been so numb for so many years and I really felt in that summer that I was learning basically I was learning how to eat again and it's harder when you come out of rehab because you're in a really safe bubble when you're in private healthcare, but when you come out, that's when the hard work really starts. And swimming outdoors helped me to get back into the pool and keeping that connection with nature. It sounds very fluffy, but keeping that connection with um, nature helped me feel really grounded in reality. And over the summer at the leisure centre that I had been lifeguarding at, there was a very quick shift in management and I um, got asked to coach the swim team. I'll call them a swim team, but really it was kind of later stages of swim scheme. So still kind of covering the basics of all the four strokes. And so I decided to take on this this swim team because I didn't want to go to uni because I thought I'd get ill again. I wasn't quite ready for that step. And my support network was at home. So it made sense that I stayed at home. And I coached this team from 2012 to 2018. And it was like a, um, it was a personal project. Um, and they're still swimming family to this day. I met up with them last summer in between the lockdowns and we went to the lake that I used to do open water with them. And we're all still the same. We love hanging out and swimming together. And it was in one of those moments where I really felt that I had done my job as a swim coach, that I could go to an open water space, not necessarily an organized swim and that they would be there enjoying the water and swimming. That's just a, that was a really um, special realization for me. But I so I started coaching them in 2012, and then we got to regional level um, in three years, which is really cool because for the first 18 months nobody competed. I was I was adamant that we had to cover a really broad range of skills to get them up to scratch, so they weren't racing and training with poor technique because skill foundation is really important if you want to have a longevity in competing. So um, by third year, we were at regionals, which was amazing. And then a year later, I qualified as an open water swim coach. I was kind of a guinea pig for Swim England on their first courses. And I remember sitting in, um, I don't know what those tents are called, in the gazebo, doing paperwork and the gazebo just flew away over the, over the pool. And I thought, oh God. <laughs> Um, so we qualified, uh, I qualified in that and then I was in March and April, I was taking the swim team to Clevedon Marine Lake to enjoy the water and all the parents thought it was an absolute nutter. Um, but for me in the southwest, <clears throat> my little team was up against the likes of Kelly College, Plymouth Leander and Millfield, which are private school swimming systems. And they have, you know, money to spend on resources and they cherry pick athletes around the country and Millfield goes you know, cherry picks across the world. So when it came to competing at county and regional level, I knew that my swimmers were never going to be, po you know, standing on the podium first, second and third. And I thought what's really important for me as a coach is that swimmers have longevity. They don't burn out like I did and then get ill. So I started introducing open water as a way to keep them interested, to keep them swimming, but also to keep them swimming through that phase where they kind of find other things in life and you kind of get this drop off rate at 15, 16 and 17. So we started doing that and we were doing team building in open water and that kind of made me want to do more. So I started training myself and I got into masters nationals and then I started training to do the channel. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I didn't do the channel because I tore the inside of my shoulder from 12 until six o'clock and had to wait a year and a half to have a uh, shoulder surgery. But um, coaching that team was 
was really special and we did really cool things towards the end of my time like doing night glow swims like you know swimming swimming outdoors just in wild waterfalls and stuff and I thought at the time I was like if this had been around while I was a swimmer I probably would have never quit and I would have never got ill and in 2018 I kind of reached the the point where I couldn't take the team any higher in the facility that I was coaching in we couldn't get any more pool time and I we were at a capacity where I had 120 swimmers and I just didn't I didn't really know what to do so I merged my small program with a uh, with a program that had better resources and facilities I coached for that team for six months and at this point I'd already got a few national qualifiers under my belt which was great and they had been with me from the beginning so I'd really ridden this journey of building a club and kind of coaching them and they I was really close with them but the program itself wasn't the right fit and I felt that I was on another journey to burnout but as a coach this time so I took a coaching job in Australia. I went to coach at Macquarie University. I was so attracted to the idea of coaching in a 50 meter pool in sunshine in Sydney. Um, it was quite uh, a quick move, actually. Um, but I felt that when the opportunity came up, I couldn't really say no to it because it's not often that those opportunities come around. Coaching that team was really interesting because I thought that it was going to be I thought the coaching culture was going to be quite similar to that of the UK, but it wasn't. About 70% of my team um, was of Asian heritage. And with that came, with that came struggles of having to understand like why those kids were swimming. And also the demands that of schooling that came with that were really quite intense. But we had great pool time hours. I was coaching, you know, four until eight, which is nothing like what you coach in the UK, which is seven to 9.30. The corporate culture wasn't really for me. I felt that in my previous coaching years, I could have a big impact and I had a lot of freedom to move within what I wanted to do in the programme. But going to coach at a university programme meant that I was kind of a cog in a chain. And quite quickly, I didn't feel that I had much value. Um, so for the second uh, part of the year, I studied elite athlete management and well-being, which is really fascinating. And I was studying with um, Olympians of Australian uh, heritage and ex-Olympians and people who um, had represented um, the equivalent of Australian NFL. I can't quite remember what it's called. But I was while I was studying with these athletes, I realised that one of the problems with elite sport across all continents is that um, you can kind of become, I think the word I want to use is commodity, where the sport kind of, you know, uses you until you're no longer useful and then they forget about you. And there were so many skilled and talented ex-rugby players who basically, you know, used to be wealthy and make lots of money off the sport, but then became injured and all of a sudden they were just laying bricks and building houses and doing jobs that didn't require much skill level because all they'd done is concentrated on sport and it was always sport, 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 rather than working in a program that uh, concentrated on equally both academics and sport. And I think when I came back to the UK, I was really, ups I was kind of, I was, I was again really upset because I had gone to Australia to make this move in coaching. I thought it was going to be more positive in the sense that I thought the Australian coaching environment would be more supportive of females in coaching because we are quite few and far between 
Um, but also it wasn't, it wasn't the right move. Um, I did feel quite lonely through that year. Um, and I didn't really adjust. I didn't really adjust to the culture, but I did, it got me really thinking about um, why so many swimmers or athletes in general, like leave sport for the wrong reason in that when we call a swimmer of 11, 12 and 13 elite parents or swimming or sport culture latches onto the elite element and all they do is they push kids down the sport route without realizing that actually sometimes sport has to be secondary and that sport has to make you an all-rounded better human being rather than just a swimmer who's going to podium through their teens and then by the time they get to uni they realize there's another life and they leave the sport altogether or we just burn kids out because all we do is get them to follow the black line at the bottom of the pool day in and day out. I came back from Australia I didn't want to coach anymore I felt bitter and angry about a lot of things and you do find that coaches come in and out of the sport because it's quite an unsustainable lifestyle especially if you're coaching in this country and you're not at a center of excellence or in a program um, that can support you having a life and a rest <laughs> so um, then I went down to uh, Falmouth to do sportswear design which I'd wanted to do for a really long time and Covid hit so I kind of I kind of came back home um, and in the summer months of Covid last year I started open water coaching and I kind of realized what it was all about and I really missed that element so I started um, to swim with John and Caroline and I that was when I met Caroline actually I'd known John for about six years we've been swimming at Cleveland for a really long time together um, so we just started doing these crazy swims and we were in the Bristol Channel and we I think Caroline and John just said what would happen if we swam from the Prince of Wales Bridge to Clevedon? We realised nothing would happen, <laughs> that it was well within our grasp. Um, so yeah, so that's how I met John and Caroline and I have rebranded and I'm coaching again um, this summer. And in between the lockdowns, I went back to my old club to coach part-time, which was uh, quite nice actually to be back in a, an environment that you definitely know how to operate in. And in between kind of all my coaching stints, I've uh, raced in Estonia and Slovenia for Winter World Champs and done various other swim challenges. And I think that the coaching world is definitely waking up to the benefits and the longevity of what open water means to keep kids interested in water. It's been a long time coming, but it's a really exciting uh, space to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the passion that the connection between open water and nature and many open water swimmers talk very passionately about that connection and how it rejuvenates them. Definitely. And the community that is there as well is, is very welcoming and people are there just to have fun um, and enjoy the environment they're, they're in. Obviously, there is the other element when you're competing. Unfortunately, you do miss many of the beautiful parts of a swim because <laughs> you are focused on that swimming constantly. You talk about the, la the lakes kind of gave you something back and, and you talk when you're talking, you, Clevedon does the same. Is there any other venues that you go to? that? Um, I, um, in my channel training years, um, so I live um, almost borderline on the Somerset levels uh, near the Mendips and I can travel to Vobster Key, which is an inland uh, diving centre. 
but that they have membership it's 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 quite pricey and uh, the marine lake is free and one of the craziest things about being a swimmer of all seasons and skins is that you realize that Clevedon Marine Lake is free that that this amazing um, experience is not commercialized unless you want to get coached of course and that you can basically rock up at any time over a 24-hour period and swim in the marine lake and feel amazing you know some some massive corporate company hasn't come and bottled up the experience and is now is now selling it for thousands of pounds um and i think that's what's so great about it is that anyone can access it really so i do really preach about Clevedon marine lake because I've swam there um, for a really long time. But Bobsticky is equally beautiful. Um, I think they've sunk things to the bottom. And so on a really clear day when the sun is shining, you can start to make out things. I think they've got an aircraft carrier. Yeah. And so you can kind of see bits and that's a bit um, spooky. Um, but I feel I'm, I'm, much, I'm a very big sea lover. I don't mind rivers. I don't mind locks. Um, I don't mind bobster key but i do feel like a bit of a slug when i'm in bobster key but when i'm in the sea the extra buoyancy just makes you feel like i'm flying and so that's kind of like a, a mini ego <laughs> boost i guess and the beauty about cleveland is you can go any part of the day and there's people coming and going and they're all very hi how you doing and and you just beautiful swim basically um i've been there over night time as well when we've had the full moon it is nice rest, isn't it yeah, I think um, there was a snow moon the other night and I totally hadn't latched onto it. And I um, took my cousin, who's not a swimmer, and um, I popped her in neoprene boots and gloves, put a bubble hat on her. And I was like, we're just going to get in and uh, do a bit of head at breaststroke. Um, and uh, she's in our family bubble. So, of course, it's COVID safe. But before she was a bit like oh i'm getting into february and as we were getting changed the snow moon just rose from behind clevedon hill and she was in the water her breathing had regulated and she was like i can totally totally tell the appeal and the moon was just shining and i just thought this is literally amazing and then the offside is that if you don't want to be in the marine lake you can always go at high tide and you get the experience of the pier and so I kind of feel that it's a very win-win down at Clevedon. You can't really go wrong. No, and it's those moments where you realise that you've... To explain open water swimming and what it gives people is really difficult. But when they're in there and they're immersed and suddenly they get connected, that beauty on their face is amazing. You just... And it is handing people a gift, um, which yeah. is lovely. Oh, no, it, it is. And I think... Um, I mean, I'm quite, in a way, I'm really thankful that everyone has, uh, well, I'm not everyone, but I'm really thankful that people have discovered it during lockdown because, you know, you know, people need it. And it's always been like that extra push to get people who have kind of either sat on the fence or just totally not been aware of it, just to give them that extra push to be like, hey, yeah, come and do this. And now with um, just the way that social media you can construct things on social media it seems very it seems really appealing and and you can't you can you know you can read books about water swimming and you can look at photos of beautiful open water spaces but unless you're actually in it and you're going through that physiological change of being in cold water and then getting out and getting that buzz and going going through the shivers you just can't really you just can't really explain it <laughs> 
how people just keep looking at you just thinking you're very odd (laughs) (laughs) i know for the relay that uh, you guys are going to do for you're going to go and get the baton from wales for me and then you're going to swim it over how are you preparing yourself for this well i'm swimming almost every day in skins at the moment uh the lake is kind of jumping between five and ten degrees which is actually quite a big temperature gap and one of the things I love about swimming at Cleveton Marine Lake is that the air temperature dictates more sorry the air temperature dictates how long you're in the water more so than the water temperature and the swimming journey is never linear at Cleveton and so sometimes I can be in the water for 10 minutes and the other day I was in the water for 40 minutes and so that kind of preparation of having to face a different environment every single day sort of mimics the channel in that you could get any weather on the day and that you have to be ready for it so um swimming in sunshine swimming in rain swimming when it's windy they're all they're all great um kind of testing environments really for the swim that's going to happen in august yeah and beautifully cleveland does that i mean john was talking about that on his podcast how diverse cleveland is are you a ice plunger like john so I haven't done an ice barrel with John. I would like to get an ice barrel. It is on my to-do list for this year. I have done Wim Hof courses. Um, I have sat in paddling pools of ice and done breathing workshops. Um, it is super fascinating. And uh, I did lie down in a room and do breath workshop with about 40 people. And I was one of the last to come round from that experience and I thought I'd kind of been in this breathing process for about five minutes whereas actually I'd been what was happening was actually lasting for about 30-40 minutes and we sat in a circle afterwards and we talked about our experience and I said I felt like the rest of the room disappeared but I synced with one other guy who was breathing from across the other side of the room to me and all I could do was hear him breathe and I was in total sync with him and I didn't know who it was and after I spoke he said yes and I synced with you as well I thought that experience was super spooky and I've not really, I mean, I did that course before I moved to Australia and Wim Hof and obviously ice swimming doesn't really exist in Australia. So I didn't, I haven't done much of it since then, but I would like to think that I would get an ice barrel this year and get back into the breath stuff. But actually on a, on a, on a much larger scale, breath work is pretty key to swimming most strokes and also just getting into water and feeling comfortable. So I kind of adopt it on a quite basic principle. I don't think a lot of people uh, prepare themselves with breath work before they get actually to the water's edge. Um, it's generally when they get in the water, then they, then they start thinking about it. And I don't think we put enough emphasis on how important it is and actually how it enhances the experience if we've prepared ourselves and taken some of that fear away, really. I see yeah. ourselves as like iceberg <laughs> and it's taking those layers away to get to the heart of us. Um, and if yeah, we no, do that, the experience becomes far more, and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, that I've been in my head far too much rather than sorting myself out to really enjoy something that's amazingly free and beautiful that's around me. I, um, I sometimes catch myself swimming um, laps of the lake, and often when I'm, really, when I'm thinking about it, um, I'll often catch myself um, holding my breath rather than exhaling when my face is in the water. And when I, um, when I start to sink in with, with um, inhaling when I've 
uh, lifted, not lifted, rolled my head to breathe and then exhaling when my head's down in the water. I find that my stroke lengthens and I glide because my stroke is in time with my breath. And actually it's quite hard to have explosive breaths um, in the water when you're in really cold temperatures because it's almost quite a stressful experience just um, blowing uh, air out of your nose or your mouth and so taking it as slowly as possible and then using it in sync with your stroke I think really helps to um, kind of take you from a state of shock into a state of really relaxed flow when you're swimming freestyle. What's on your dream list of swims to do Lee, Laura? Um, I'm not I there is I'm doing a swim next June and I applied for it of my own accord and little did I know that John and Caroline also applied to do this swim and we both we all got accepted for it do you know what swim it is I do but yeah. I'm hoping to share it, it. I okay because I we haven't really publicized it yet and then um it's when like I found did Tom did when they were um when we just we just got chatting on whatsapp and it, it became apparent that we had all the five to do the swim so we will hopefully be a part of the first British Swedes team to um, swim from the Farallon Islands to San Francisco next June. There's six of us in our team. We're on the cusp of great white shark season and um, the team met each other on Zoom the other day. And uh, quite, we're, we're obviously of British heritage, but um, one swimmer I think has swam a lot in South um, America, which brings great experience to the swim. And when I met the team on Zoom, we were talking about we were talking about uh, like the ecosystem of the water and why they call it Great White Shark Cafe. And the idea is really exciting. <laughs> and often I'll text John and Caroline and I'll say, did we really get picked for this swim? Because it's the kind of swim that you see like a really cool, high profile, ripped athlete who has thousands of followers on Instagram get picked for. And then I just think, Oh, and I'm just like a regional national level swim coach. Like, who am I to get picked for the swim? I kind of have to pinch myself and I'm so excited about it. But also I'm totally freaking out about the fact that there will be some of us who will have to do the early morning slots in the dark in 10 to 12 degrees with the idea that sharks could be around <laughs> at any point. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's super exciting, but I'm totally petrified at the same time. <laughs> yeah John said the same um but yeah I mean what an amazing experience and you guys are just great to have been chosen for it um perfect I think, team um, I think I think I mentioned when I was interviewed for it I mentioned that I had done this swim down the Bristol Channel so I think John who uh, the other John who'd emailed the swim kind of clocked that we were very much like we're a trio for a reason um you know we we do things together and we, we're a team and I think he he really pushed across um in the advert that he pushed out that um, it wasn't about being the fastest swimmer. It was just really important that you played your part of the team. And I think that's really important, especially when you're doing open water swims, adventure swims, any of this stuff that happens um, in environments that are quite unpredictable. Um, you have to know that um, in, any, in any serious case that the team will do what needs to be done. And John and I, Caroline, um, have definitely been in some sticky situations in the channel and John being the daredevil that he is will often wants to push through the chimp mindset that swimming can 
um, push him into. And Caroline and I will be pulling back the reins and uh, we'll be like, do you really want to do that? <laughs> so, um, so no, it's nice to have a mixture of uh, personalities um, and kind of a mixture of experience and all those things that make teams really special. Yeah, that connectivity is, you know, once you've got it as a team, it's, it's, it's beautiful um, and it enhances. And many people have spoken about that, saying that there's certain swims with certain individuals that just make that experience far more. So, yeah, I know that lots of people can relate to that, too. Yeah, I, I, I think the team element is 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 really important. And uh, actually, when I saw my swim team, my old swim team between um between lockdowns last summer, I realized that I was actually really glad that I never chased results in swimming. I always just chased the fun and creating um, a really supportive culture of doing different swims. Because if you're just chasing results all the time, you kind of miss everything else that happens in the sport. Um, And I was really glad that I had developed a team with um, those coaching values. So, yeah. Laura, it's been amazing talking to you and I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys do the the channel swim and also following your career and seeing what the coaching is. And uh, I'm certainly down to Clevedon. Clevedon's one of my kind of local when we're allowed out. Um, So that'd be great. So It's quite interesting that you call it a swim career because for me, when I look at Olympians, they've had a they've had a great swimming career, you know, like they've grinded for probably over a decade if they podium or they get onto the Olympic team they've you know really put in the hours and they deserve it and sometimes I think the sport is changing and maybe winter swimming might be in the Olympics in the next two decades I mean with the introduction of new sport it's definitely evolving and somebody said this to me the other day they said oh like you know you you must call it a swim career because you do all these cool swims but actually I've never thought of it like that because I just love it and I just do it but I guess as the sport becomes more popular, you will get people who will craft a career out of it. I mean, why, why, who wouldn't want a career of travelling the world and seeing all these swims? So I guess in a way, I could call it a swim career. Um, but I'm quite, I'm quite careful of making sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. It's about the spirit and it's about the passion. And that comes out from you. Um, and I think that's part of the career as well. You make it like a life career of sharing that magic and gifting it to people. And that's certainly come through today that you, that's really important to your heart um, and that you've already offered that. You've already seen how that's been of value to lots of other people. Um, and I think you'll continue. And I, well, I hope you do continue because I think there's so much to give, um, especially you trio. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. So yeah, I hope, I hope the career blossoms. Yeah, (laughs) who knows? Who knows? I mean, the amount of swims that are available to do now, um, the next one I mean, you can practically do any swim, but the swims of being the first ones to do a swim are becoming more and more minimal. And I know that Caroline and John are always searching for the next like (laughs) number one swim. Um, So there could be some really cool stuff that happens, but either way I'm enjoying swimming at Clevedon like it's it's a second home I often joke that if I could live in a inflatable tent on the lake um, I probably would I love it that much and some people are like Laura it's really sad that you love it that much I'm like no not really because it makes you happy and why wouldn't you do what makes you happy every single day you know so. 
yeah no exactly so thanks again and uh, i'll catch up with you really soon i hope thank you so much for having me no problem <laughs>